When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, the man responsible for classic television moments, classic moments of Americana, like this one, is no more. Here's a guy who's sure to agree with me. Lionel, what do your people think about guns? Well, that depends on who's holding them. you be against gun control with all the assassinations? Look at it, the Kennedys and Martin Luther King. And what about the shooting of Governor Wallace? I'm saying, maybe Governor Wallace wouldn't have got shot if he had a rod in his miss. <laughs> what? Because the governor was there, he could have shot first. Archie, what would he be doing walking around in a crowd with a gun? What was the other bum doing in a crowd with a gun? Archie, you're talking about a human being who may be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Yes, and if that human being had had a rod, then the other human being would be in a wheelchair. <laughs> uh, Norman Lear, a writer and producer who revolutionized television with really, uh, you know, they use that term groundbreaking all the time, but his work really was groundbreaking. He revolutionized television with these groundbreaking sitcoms in the 1970s. He's passed away at the age of 101. His shows, starting with All in the Family, depicted uh, social upheaval, political upheaval that everybody that was watching at the time could relate to, but I think it's withstood this test of time. When I watch All in the Family reruns now, and uh, I didn't become a fan of All in the Family during its first run. I became a fan in uh, reruns. Whenever there was a Mets rain delay, they would play All in the Family, and that's how I got into All in the Family. It still holds up today. It really does. Because here you have uh, Archie Bunker, who is this uh, curmudgeon, He's uh, basically a bigot, but he's an incredibly lovable bigot. And that is really the genius of Norman Lear. The central character, I don't want to say he hated blacks and hated Jews and hated uh, other people, but he definitely viewed people that were not like him as less than. He's the central character, and he's hopelessly flawed because of that character defect but he's also so relatable you really do relate him to so many of the people in your life maybe you're a grandparent an uncle a parent and 
he's likable. He's likable even though he's a racist. And even though the a racist is the a, a central character of the show, basically, it was a very progressive show. The lesson each week was basically how, oh, look at how dumb Archie's being for having sort of backwards views. Whoever it is bought Bowman's house must be doing pretty good if we can lay out eight, ten dollars a day for a cleaning woman. Ten dollars? Oh, they're getting more than that for good cleaning people today. Maybe she's a live-in maid. Well, what are you talking about, Edith? The only people nowadays can afford live-in help are rich people and Jews. (laughs) (laughs) They reached... His shows, Norman Lear's shows, reached vast audiences that would really be unthinkable for television shows today. At one point in the mid-70s, Norman Lear had eight series on television. Now, think about that. Now, I mean, maybe that's not unfathomable. There's a lot of guys these days that are prolific, people like uh, uh, Dick Wolf from the Law & Order franchise, a couple of other people are very prolific the um, the fellow that uh, had all those reality shows on, who the, produced The Apprentice at one time, he had a lot of uh, a lot of shows on simultaneously. It was um, Mark Burnett. That's who I'm thinking of. Mark Burnett had a bunch of shows on. But what made it amazing was the sheer number of audience that he controlled. In the mid '70s, Lear had eight series on television watched by. 120 million Americans each week. That's more than half of the country's population. Can you imagine anything like that now? Just to put that in perspective, this year's Super Bowl had about 113 million viewers, according to Nielsen. So more people were watching Norman Lear's shows each week than were watching the Super Bowl this year. He had a lot of other shows aside from uh, All in the Family as well. Uh, Certainly uh, Sanford and Son, The Jeffersons. Uh, I love love that character of George Jefferson. Don't get mad at me because you started it. I know it. I want you to keep putting me down. Huh? Look, I can't get nowhere with this Mr. Hendricks, but I want to keep him here. All he seems to like is the way you keep mouthing at me. Huh? Look, stop hawing and listen. <laughs> now, when he gets off the phone, service our drinks and then keep insulting me, okay? Wait a minute. Am I hearing this right? You want me to insult you? Yeah. I'll give you 20 bucks if you do a good job. 20 bucks? Right. Look, Mr. Jefferson, keep your 20 bucks. This one's on me. <laughs> Here you are. Oh, thank you. Florence, now you know I like my scotch on the rocks. Then why don't you pour it over your hair? <laughs> Hey, she got a big sense of humor. <laughs> Anything's big to you. He's so short, he had to stand on his toes to put his hat on. <laughs> I don't even wear a hat. That's because you can't find one big enough to fit your fat head. <laughs> and ugly. Child, Mr. Jefferson is so ugly that when he used to work in a bakery, they used to dip his face in the batter to make the animal cookies. <laughs> You know, I'm a little annoyed with the New York Times obituary people because they 
they had a photo in the obituary, which I tweeted about. You could see it on my Twitter, at Frank Morano, where they had a photo of Sandra Day O'Connor being sworn in in 1981 by the Chief Justice and meeting Sandra Day O'Connor's family. And they said, oh, here she is with her family, pictured with Chief Justice William Rehnquist. Now, William Rehnquist was not the Chief Justice. Warren Burger was. It was a picture of Warren Burger, and the caption was was William Rehnquist. Now, anybody can make a mistake, but... After you saw my tweet, which I tagged the New York Times obituary people in, you know it's a mistake. Issue a retraction. As far as I can tell, there's been no retraction. Additionally, when I was talking with Pat Cooper's wife the other day, she felt that they did a very poor job on the obituary for Pat Cooper and that uh, they included a lot of stuff that was just plain inaccurate, plain wrong. But the one thing that I think the New York Times deserves credit for in their Norman Lear obituary, and I haven't read their obituary yet, but I did read the headline, is it's such an apt description. Norman Lear, TV's greatest American. TV's greatest American. That is so on the money. I don't know how anybody can dispute that. And I think... I mean, what an honor in a medium of television that's watched by hundreds of millions of people to master it the way that Norman Lear did. It's extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. Norman Lear, as uh, many of you may know, did serve in the Army Air Forces. He served in World War II, did a three-year tour of duty in in the military. And after World War II, you know what Norman Lear's career was? Public relations. Public relations. And he said that the career choice was inspired by his Uncle Jack. And he said that uh, his Uncle Jack would flip him a quarter every time he saw him. He was a press agent, so he wanted to be a press agent. That was his only role model. He figured this guy's got quarters. And, uh, you know, I want to have quarters to give to people. So all he wanted to be when he was growing up was the guy that could flip quarters to his nephew. So he decided to move to California to restart his career in publicity. He drove with his toddler daughter across the country. I really, you got to give a guy so much credit for that. In the middle of a career that's doing okay, to take a risk like that and drive, he was from Connecticut originally, to drive across the country to California when you have a toddler, not seek out a job that has a little more job security, that's extraordinary. So his first night in Los Angeles, he uh, stumbles into a theater production, a 90-seat theater, uh, and one of the actors in the play was Sidney Chaplin, the son of Charlie Chaplin. And, you know, they sat in front of Norman Lear and then they got to meet, he got to meet Charlie Chaplin. And he had a uh, a cousin who was married to a, a comedy writer, or at least an aspiring comedy, comedy writer. So the cousin, or the wife's cousin, um, teamed up to sell home furnishings door to door. That's what Norman Lear did with his cousin-in-law. They sold furniture door to door. You know what they called their company? The Gans Brothers. And then they later sold family photos door to door. So throughout the 50s, Lear and his cousin, the, they turned out comedy sketches or TV appearances of Martin and Lewis, Rowan and Martin, and others. And they frequently wrote for Martin and Lewis. And then he kind of got he kind of got a little bit of a, 
ahead of steam to him when he started doing sketches. He did a film um, called, uh, he wrote a film called Divorce American Style. But obviously the game changer for him was All in the Family. Uh, All in the Family, Sanford and Son, a level of dominance in television. Uh, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, Maud, What's Happening, Good Times. A level of dominance that I think has been unmatched by anybody in history. And he even did a show that I just loved, Different Strokes. He's awfully weak, champ. Oh. <laughs> Hi there, Arnold. Who's that? It's me, the champ. Joe Lewis? <laughs> this kid's delirious. <laughs> no, it's me, Muhammad Ali. You'll have to speak louder. I can't hear you over those golden horns. Golden horns? Champ? Yeah? Could I ask a favor while I still got breath in my little lungs? Yeah, what is it? Could you autograph a picture for me? Be glad to. Here's a pen. Boy, you got quicker hands than me. So Norman Lear was just an incredible person, was still active literally until this year. He was overseeing a revival of Who's the Boss, I believe, with Tony Danza. And they're doing, they were doing a reboot of Mary Hartman. Mary Hartman was a fanatical fan of American history. In fact, he purchased uh, a copy of the Declaration of Independence for $8.1 million, one of the first published copies of the Declaration of Independence. And then he was um, he was the uh, he was also the voice of Benjamin Franklin on the TV show South Park. Very liberal Democrat, uh, very big supporter of First Amendment causes. The, the only time that he did not support a Democratic candidate for president was in 1980 when he supported uh, John B. Anderson over Jimmy Carter because he considered the Car- Carter administration to be, in his words, a complete disaster. <laughs> 800 uh, Tony Danza was on this program about a year ago, and one of the things that we talked about was Norman Lear, because uh, he was very much a Norman Lear discovery. And one, the show that he was most famous for, Who's the Boss, and Taxi, both of them, were both Norman Lear shows. This Saturday just passed was uh, Norman Lear's 100th birthday. Wow. And uh, um, they had a party, an ABC special for him uh, at the Roosevelt Hotel in the in the ballroom where they had the first Academy Awards. It's really this really incredible place. And he's amazing. I mean, I want you to understand, though. He's just unbelievable. But um, I got, uh, you know, uh, his his partner, Brent Miller, came to see my show at the Carlisle. And in the show, I do a song called I Don't Remember Ever Growing Up. And it's, you know, obviously it, it works for Norman. Um, and by the way, for people who don't know, not only did Norman Lear have six, six shows in the top 10 at the same time. And remember, if you had to have a show, in, to have a show in the top 10 at that time, you had to have 35 million viewers. 35 million. 
So imagine having six 35 million. Uh, I mean, the influence is unbelievable. But aside from that, do you know when Pearl Harbor was born, bombed, he was in college. He quit college. He 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 he, he enlisted and he flew 57 bombing missions in a B-17 as a radio operator. And he only had to fly, uh, excuse me, 52. Only had to fly 37, but stuck around for 52. So it was a great thing. He's an old friend, and he's involved in the Who's the Boss show. And, oh, and when wow. I kissed him after I sang, and I sang at the uh, at the thing, which was nerve-wracking because of what an audience. But uh, I, uh, we, we hugged and kissed, and he said to me, Tony, to be continued. So it was just a wonderful <laughs> night. 800-848-9222. I mean, what else can you say about a guy like Norman Lear? I mean, uh, the guy was a legend. Simple as that. Simple as that. He was a magazine publisher uh, he had for about 20 years. Godparent to uh, Katie Seagal, the actress Katie Seagal. Amazing man. An am- absolutely amazing man. Uh, they profiled him on CBS Sunday Morning not long ago. And he talked about the key to comedy and at least his take on the key to comedy. Hold it, hold it, hold it. What are you doing here? Why? What about the other foot? There ain't no sock on it. I'll get to it. One of the greatest gifts in my uh, entertainment career. (laughs) Don't you know that the whole world puts on a sock and a sock and a shoe and a shoe? A classic scene Carol O'Connor and Rob Reiner had improvised during a rehearsal. I like to take care of one foot at a time. To be able to laugh in a rehearsal at something you hadn't expected, and then (laughs) to stand to the side or behind an audience laughing and watch them, their bodies, a couple of hundred people as one, when something makes them laugh. I don't think I've ever seen a more spiritual moment than an audience in the belly laugh. Hey, we should all be so lucky to be that sharp at 100. You know what I think one of the keys is, honestly? I think um, the one of the keys is just staying active. Staying active, whether it's professionally or creatively or in uh, in other areas, I think, that is the key. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Original Rick is in Original New Jersey. Hello. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. <clears throat> I just want to say a quick thing uh, because I just saw it. Have you ever seen the episode where uh, Archie and Meathead are locked in a storeroom with a bottle of booze? Absolutely. I absolutely remember that one. That one, I, that really shows off. What an incredible actor uh, Carol O'Connor was. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he played a serious part there, you know, and he played it so well. You would almost think he was drunk and they were really having a conversation. It, 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 you know, he I believe he had an English accent, really, didn't he? Wait, wait, Lear? One time? No, 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 uh, O'Connor. No, it was sort of, um, I mean, the, his, the way that when he wasn't in character, it was kind of um, a transatlantic or mid-Atlantic accent. I, wouldn't, right. I definitely wouldn't cra- characterize it as English. Okay, it was just sophisticated. So yeah, it was, it, it was know, almost yeah. like a Gore Vidal uh, kind of a thing or a William F. Buckley kind of a deal. Right, right, right. You, you have to be a brilliant actor to play a moron. You know what I'm saying? Um, he, 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 if, if you're a moron, you can't play someone stupid. He played someone stupid brilliantly. 
But I was just wondering if you'd ever seen that, because that was the first time I saw it, and it was like, this guy can act, you know? I know he played heavies in movies sometimes, but, you know, you can play a heavy. I've seen other actors or not that could play heavies. But this, he really shone. And I was just like, okay, this is why this show, not only the writing, but the actors were brilliant. Man, I just wanted to chime in. You know? Yeah, I, thank you, uh, Rick. Appreciate that. 800-848-9222. Steve's in Jersey City. Hi, Steve. Hey, good morning, Frank. Um, Norman was a huge CCR fan. He loved Credence, and he was friends with John Fogarty. Now, when John Fogarty first signed a contract back in, like, 67, 68 with the company called Fantasy Records, he didn't know what he was signing. Um, I read his, his autobiography, and he says, I was a kid. I just They said, here, sign here. You're going to be a rock star. So he signed. What he did was he signed away the rights and the catalog to all of CCR's hits. So when CCR broke up, he made nothing. Oh, Norman blew, Norman blew close to $100 million, bought the catalog from Fantasy Records, and just gave it to, uh, to Fogarty as a gift. You're kidding. I had no idea nope. about that. Just get, And now Fogarty makes every penny, all the royalties, once again, from CCR. He, just, he loved Fogarty. He just loved the music. He, he, he called, uh, Norman Lear called CCR pure Americana music. He absolutely loved it. And uh, when he found out what how Fogarty was screwed over, he just said, i got to do something about this. He bought the whole catalog from Fantasy Records, gave it to Fogarty, said, here's the gift. It's back to you. That is wild. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I had no idea about mm-hmm. that, Steve. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Rocco's in Saratoga. What's on your mind, Rocco? Good evening, Professor Morano. We have the best audience on radio. Did not know that about Norman Lear buying the catalog of C. Clearwater Revival. Credence Clearwater Revival. Very interesting. You got the smartest audience out there. Learn something every night. That's why you got to listen all the time. Although Rocco is doing his best to learn. disprove that very right? theory, isn't he? Um, anyway, Norman Lear, greatest producer ever. Ever, ever, and a great American. Served in World War II. That many bombing missions? No one does that many. You don't survive that many bombing missions, frankly. That's why after 37, you get your ticket home, because they don't expect you to make 37, okay? And he kept on going. And he was Jewish. He was Jewish. Israel forever, don't forget. Israel from river to sea to shining sea. All right, thank you, Rocco. Appreciate that. All right, we're going to continue with your calls in a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight, 800-848-9222. Hey, you know who the person of the year is? I'll tell you, and um, I'd be curious who you think it should have been. It was not me, nor was it Sid Rosenberg, much to his chagrin. But, um, you know, I think it's a pretty good pick. It's not, if you ask me to name someone, it's not who I would have named. But I think it's an apt pick. We'll get into it in a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
After the hour, this is the other side of midnight. Whatever time it is, it's always the other side of midnight on this show. We thank you for listening, especially uh, all of our many listeners over at uh, Talk 1400 WOND. If uh, time permits, a little bit later, I'd love to talk about Kelsey Grammer being the uh, Grand Marshal in that uh, parade down the boardwalk. It was so cool. I was so sorry I couldn't be down there for that. And you know who was riding in the car right behind him? Our man, A.C. Mike, A.C. Mike Lopez, who you can hear on WOND every afternoon from 12 to 2. He's a close friend of mine. He's going to be a big uh, staple at New Year's Eve Eve this year. But uh, we'll we'll chat about that later if there's time. You know, I work odd hours, obviously. And I don't know if this is how you are when you're working odd hours. But I'll be honest, when I leave here and I'm driving home, I'm exhausted. I am absolutely exhausted. Now, I'm usually never in danger of nodding off except on Mondays. So on Mondays, as soon as I feel myself getting drowsy to the point that my eyelids are getting a little heavy, I pull over and I will sleep because of the transition from weekend to weekday. So Mondays are the toughest day. But most days when I'm driving home, I'm just tired. I'm not in danger of falling asleep while driving. I'm just tired. And then as soon as I fall asleep... I, excuse me, as soon as I get home, I fall asleep and I sleep incredibly soundly most times. So yesterday, I'm driving home. I don't feel tired at all. I am wide awake, wide awake, energetic. Uh, my my brain is going on full, you know, full throttle. I'm thinking about people to call, thinking about show stuff for the show, thinking about research I want to do, thinking about all sorts of things. And... Um, Thinking, wow, that's unusual. Why am I this energetic and vivacious at this time of the morning? Which is, for most people, if you work a regular 9 to 5 schedule, it's like midnight for most people, basically. So I'm driving, I'm thinking, you know, I think I got a full eight hours of sleep yesterday. And maybe that's it. Maybe I should just try and do that again. Maybe it's the eight hours of sleep. Great. Driving home. I get into bed and I lie down. And something happens that almost never happens when I get home. I can't fall asleep. I am wide awake. Wide awake. And I'm thinking, what is going on? Do I have stuff on my mind? I mean, sure you do, but usually not stuff that keeps me from sleeping. And then I realized. I realized that what happened was when I went to the community board Christmas party the night before... We had this big meal, we had dessert, and with dessert, I had an espresso. Now, if you listen to the show, you know I am down to one, maybe two cups of coffee a week, and it's generally on the weekend. I don't drink coffee during the week anymore. 
And this is exactly why, because it usually keeps me up. But there was just something about the vibe at that Christmas party that I figured, all right, I mean, it's got got dessert, everyone's got this big meal. Uh, What's a little espresso helps the digestion? A single espresso, a little, little cup. Because I'm used to, back when I was doing four, five, six cups of coffee a day, I was used to, you know, having a pretty high caffeine tolerance. A regular espresso wouldn't even phase me. But sure enough, that espresso... It kept me it kept me awake. It really did. Even though I had the espresso at 9 p.m. and then I, w- I was trying to get to bed at 7.30 a.m., it still kept me awake. So it's probably, you know, like when you're a drug addict and you get over heroin and then you go out and fall and then you think you can still do the same amount of heroin that you did when you were doing it regularly. And then what happens? You overdose. Because, no, your body has developed a new level of tolerance. That's how I think I am with caffeine now, for better or worse. So I'm going to make a concerted effort to use caffeine responsibly in the near future. And then because I didn't get enough sleep, I was, of course, exhausted all day yesterday. I went to the dentist yesterday. I literally started falling asleep in the dentist chair. Literally started falling asleep. And they keep saying, oh, I'll be right with you, Frank. They're in the other room getting the x-ray stuff ready, getting all sorts of things. Oh, I'll be right with you. I said, no, 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 it's okay. Take your time. And I'm just closing my eyes. I said, let them take their time. Let me get a minute or two of sleep. And then, of course, the uh, dental hygienist comes. Very nice lady. I've been going to her for years. In fact, she's really the primary reason I still go to this dentist. And uh, she said, well, you look tired today. Well, I mean, what kind of thing is that to say to someone? You might as well just say you look like crap, right? I mean, that's okay. Well, I am tired. You know why? Because it's it's five thirty p.m. and I'm used to being, you know, awake at five a.m. I am tired. But the good news was very clean bill of health on the teeth, no cavities, and uh, my I was praised for my flossing habits. And the only issue was the. Um, Dental hygienist said, I have to make more of an effort to chew on both sides of my mouth. I had a little bit more of a tartar buildup on my left side than my right side. And she said that happens when you're used to just chewing on your right side. You don't use the left side and the food or the tartar, it just kind of hangs out there. So lesson learned to me. So now I'm making an effort to chew on my left side. But then the dentist comes in. And by the way, this dentist confirmed what my sister's dentist told her, that she does have one of the top 1% of teeth, of teeth, sets of teeth in the world, where she's never had a cavity, never had braces, and has all four of her wisdom teeth. I mean, I she is the only, the only person I've ever met that has all three of those distinctions. And I asked these people, is that really that rare? They said, yeah, we've never seen it, never seen it. I've I've had a cavity. But the dentist comes in, and I don't think my teeth are so great. But the dentist comes in, looks around at the teeth, asks, anything bothering you? No. And looks around. He says, you know what? You have perfect teeth. You have beautiful teeth. You should be on television instead of radio because television stars would kill for your teeth. Now, honestly, I don't think my teeth are that great. I have uh, one front tooth that's a little bit extended versus where the other one is. You know, I uh, didn't wear my retainer enough, so I did wear braces when I was in high school, but, you know, my mouth is still, I think, a little out of whack. I don't think my teeth are that great, but the dentist did. 
So when I got home, I had gotten a haircut, gotten complimented on my hair, and I'd gotten uh, cleaning and x-rays at the dentist and gotten complimented on my, my teeth. I said to my wife, I said, honey, you are dating a man whose hair and teeth have both been praised by professionals. And she said, I don't know how I got so lucky. Neither do I. Neither do I. What can I say? But everything that continues to grow or be identifiable after you die, I am doing great. Teeth, hair, doing great. Skin, height, weight, eh, that's not so great. But honestly, isn't teeth and hair where it counts? I think it is. 800-848-9222. Hey, uh, I think it was original Rick that brought up what Carol O'Connor sounded like when he wasn't acting. Well, Carol O'Connor was a big, you know, like Norman Lear, he was a, a liberal. So he was a big supporter of John Lindsay. And when John Lindsay ran for president in 1972, he recognized the incredible influence that Carol O'Connor might have. And he recognized the visibility and the name recognition and the face recognition that Carol O'Connor had. So he had Carol O'Connor record a series of commercials for his presidential campaign. So here's Carol O'Connor for John Lindsay back in 1972. Hello, I'm Carol O'Connor. If you're a young American, listen to an old-fashioned one. For 25 years, young Americans have undeclared wars. We've lost 100,000 of you kids and a half million more have been wounded. We didn't vote through Congress to fight these wars, as the Constitution requires. Those lives were lost because some president decided to achieve his foreign policy violently, radically, illegally. And we've seen in the last few weeks how quickly a foreign policy can change. But the lives that are lost, the billions of dollars drained from our neighborhoods, we can never bring back. John Lindsay wants a well-defended, secure America. But he knows these radical foreign policy wars make America insecure. He wants our men and money working to build America here. So he's my candidate for president. And he did other commercials where he would stick the cigar in his mouth like Archie Bunker, and then uh, he would go into the Archie Bunker voice. So that's what Carol O'Connor sounded like when he wasn't acting. There you go. 800-848-9222-800-848-9222. Let me say hello to John in Freehold. Hi, John. Hey, Frank. Um, Just first off, I hope you have a good Hanukkah and Christmas and New Year's and all that. Thank you. Thanks a lot. But um, so first, um, on, on the education thing, there's a in Russia, there's a child uh, cartoon. It's called the uh, Leopold, which is a uh, Leopold the cat, and um, it's for children like five and under. And in the in the cartoon, they have like a the mice go after the cat, and they're always drawing in the sand like trigonometry plans, and you got sine and cosine and like all this stuff and multiplication. So you know. In in Russia, in kindergarten, they learn multiplication, whereas here they start learning it around, like, second grade, third wow. grade. But uh, that's one. Number two, uh, Archie Bunker. Uh, I love that show. What I loved about it was he would say, like, um, you know, kind of, in today's world, it'd be more racist and bigoted. But 
whenever he would say stuff like that, it was always challenged with, uh, you know, Meathead would always challenge him or his daughter. So you got like a balance right. of old versus new. And I don't know if you knew, but um, what, uh, Meathead, uh, Dingbat, and uh, Stifle Yourself, those were all things that uh, Norman Lear's father told him. No, so I actually didn't know that. Those, that's, that's interesting. That's where he got those phrases from. That's wild. I, I appreciate that, John. I didn't know that. Thank you. 800-848-9222. I did want to play this. Uh, this was interesting. Congressman Brandon Williams, Republican of New York, was caught on camera threatening a former staffer at a lobbying firm's holiday party. I mean, first of all, it's always interesting that all these congressmen end up at all these lobbying firm uh, holiday parties. Is it any wonder that these lobbyists own Washington? And Brandon Williams was caught on camera vowing to, quote, end every relationship the ex-aide has. So Congressman Williams' actions at the party, which was hosted by BGR Group, have since earned him the condemnation of many others, including ousted Congressman George Santos, who said Williams was engaging in unethical behavior, if anybody knows it's George Santos, in his confrontation with the former chief of staff. By the way, you know how much George Santos made in uh, Cameo? We, you know, Noam Layden and I were trying to figure this out, how much he would make. I said if he kept up at a relatively conservative pace that he would make within 40 days, 800 grand. You know how much he's made in three days of doing this? Now, nobody's taking George Santos' word for that, uh, but it was confirmed by Cameo to the press when they asked about it, and they produced receipts. $200,000. He's made more in three days than he would in an entire year of being in Congress. He certainly is going to need the money for his legal bills, that's for sure. But so video posted online by a Syracuse University student reporter showed Congressman Williams coming face-to-face with a man while pointing his finger at his face. The stricken-looking former staffer, who's been identified as uh, Williams' former chief of staff, Michael Gordon, tried to tell the irate congressman, I haven't done anything. But Williams looked him in the eyes and said... You F with my family, I'll end every relationship you have. Every single one. Uh, Here's a little bit of the audio of Congressman Williams. Tell me if you think this is out of line for how you should treat a former staffer. Tell me if you think this is out of line for how you should behave at a Christmas party. Listen to this. You understand me? I don't know. You understand me? You think I don't know? Hello? Hey, why don't you get the police in? The guy sounds like a lunatic. I don't know much about this fellow, but I haven't heard a congressman this unhinged since Michael Grimm. So Gordon responds, I don't know what your William cuts him off. Do you understand me? You think I don't know? So the confrontation was then cut off when a woman intervened and asked, excuse me? At that point, the freshman congressman asked the unidentified woman, why don't you get the police in? He then turns towards the man filming the confrontation and batted down the camera. This guy's a lunatic. 
Gordon, who also helped Williams win election in his Syracuse area district last year, said the congressman knocked the phone out of his hand and Gordon walked away to avoid escalating the fight. Congressman Williams has since claimed Gordon said incredibly vile things about his wife and daughter, leading to the confrontation on video. Stephanie Williams' wife also said she felt violated by the ordeal and that one of the two staffers had previously lived in their home for more than five months. She told Semaphore, I fed him, we welcomed him in our home, and we worshipped with him. I mean, I am overwhelmed with grief. So, I mean, why not turn the other cheek, walk away? What do you need this confrontation for? I don't get it. 800-848-9222. Matt Blaze, what do you make of that behavior by Congressman Williams there? All right, well, it's a little outrageous, I think. Yeah, I mean, not, I mean. Yeah. All right, well, thank you. Appreciate that. 800-848-9222. Matt Blaze always says a lot by saying a little. Always. Bob is in Baltimore. What's on your mind, Bob? Oh, um, uh, Frank, good morning. Yeah, this is about with uh, Norman Lear. Norman Lear uh, had a show on for a very short time. And uh, actually, you know, of course, this air city, Baltimore, it was like its namesake. It was called Hot L Baltimore. And it was his first failure and his only failure on television. And one of the reasons why is because it, uh, it had a gay couple in 1975. That was unheard of. And the other thing that's interesting, too, is that this show did not air in Baltimore because we were the last people left in the country that had a censor board here in the city. Wow. So the show that he did about Baltimore, which he thought was terrific, but you're right, was his first flop. That didn't even that didn't even air in Baltimore. No, you had to um, you had to watch it from the Washington affiliate of ABC at the time. We had this crazy, insane woman that was still around the 1980s. That was uh, was the censor board, and she was the last the last of them. She wielded a lot of power uh, with the church and all these other different people, but this show never made it here in Baltimore. Did you Isn't see that- it? Oh, yeah, I watched it from um, um, Channel 7 in um, Washington, D.C. at the time. What did you think this, of it? I thought it was great. It had a great cast. It had, uh, um, let's see, it had Charlotte Ray. It had James Cromwell. It had, um, oh, so a number of characters. Yeah. They're great characters. Like, like I said, I never I never saw it, but uh, Norman Lear always said that he liked it. He thought it was a very, a very good show. Hey, Bob, thanks for that information. I wouldn't have known Alrighty, that. Alrighty, take care. Thank you. Take care. 800 848 9222. Well, the Time Magazine, do they still call it Time Magazine? Uh, The Time Person of the Year is none other than Taylor Swift. I think it's a choice that makes sense. Um, Taylor Swift has impacted everything movies, music, television, you name it. I mean, she's uh, voting. I mean, she's really maybe the most influential American, period. Not just this year, but right now she might be the most influential American there is. So I think it's probably a good choice. I um, This is the first entertainer ever, by the way, to be a solo honoree. 
If you were just saying who was the biggest newsmaker of the year, because that's what the Time Magazine Person of the Year is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be the person that we like the most. It's not supposed to be the nicest guy or gal. It's supposed to be the person that did the, you know, was the most significant news person. I think my pick would have been, um, you know, initially I was going to say it would be Elon Musk. But Elon Musk was just it a couple of years ago. So uh, can they keep always picking Elon Musk? No. But I really do think if you're looking for someone that is making news in the most different categories, it's got to be Elon Musk. All right. So let's say you don't count Elon Musk. My pick probably would have been Benjamin Netanyahu. For starters, what he started the year with, with this incredible political comeback to become prime minister again, that was not only remarkable, but incredibly newsworthy. Then uh, being charged with corruption and being in the news with this corruption trial and then trying to change the rules for the Supreme Court and leading to all those demonstrations in both Israel and the United States. That's pretty newsworthy. And then his leadership during the Israel-Hamas war. I'm not saying whether it's good or bad, but it's certainly newsworthy. So I I think, uh, and obviously the counterweight to that would have been Hamas. You could see Hamas because of all the news that this war has caused, um, Hamas being picked, picked as the person of the year. And remember, the person of the year is not supposed to be a nice person. Putin has been person of the year. Hitler has been person of the year. Stalin has been person of the year. Uh, Ayatollah Khomeini in Iran has been the person of the year. It's the most newsworthy person. So um, I think it's a pretty good pick. If you would pick somebody different, I'd be curious who it would be. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Nixon was actually person of the year twice. Not once, but twice. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Pleased uh, to be heard uh, on many of our great radio stations, especially Talk 1400 WOND. Next weekend, I am going to be in Atlantic City doing a little scouting for New Year's Eve Eve. I'm way behind in my plans for New Year's Eve Eve. And um, even my wife said, you got to get that email out. you got to get that email out. So uh, my plan is to wake up early today and finish all the arrangements that I have for New Year's Eve Eve and get that email out, but um, one article came across my uh, my desk this week that I thought was interesting. 
you know, the Ocean Casino Resort, which is a great property. I've spent a lot of time there. It's great. It's fun. To celebrate their fifth anniversary, their marketing teams came up with the idea to incorporate several local businesses because local businesses are pretty important to Atlantic City, obviously. So the five businesses they picked, and I'm familiar with all of them, they're great. The Seed, which is a living beer project, Little Water Distillery, Bar 32, Jetty Inc., and Mud Girl Studios. Mud Girl Studios might be the one I'm not familiar with. Of the 11 partnerships that started over the summer have continued into the fall and holiday season. So basically, the partnership between Ocean and these businesses results in the crafting of, say, a special drink, the pumpkin spice martini that was introduced in November and featured at Ocean Bars and Restaurants. Uh, they po- they purchased the distillery's 48 Blocks chocolate martini to create the chocolate cake martini. So they're patronizing local businesses, which I just love. They uh, what reached out to Jetty Inc. to create an exclusive line of hats. You know, so often you go to these casinos and these hotels and you see made in China, made in Bangladesh, made in Vietnam. It's nice if you're located somewhere to actually see, I don't know, local businesses being patronized by these big businesses. And that's, I think, something that we could use more of. Uh, Kelsey Grammer, who I, who said he wants to come back on the show, he and I were texting this week, now that the actor strike is over and he can come on and talk about Fraser. he says he wants to come back. He was the MC at the Winter Wonderland Parade on the boardwalk last week. That must be so cool. Next year, i got to get down there. Uh, our man AC Mike was uh, was right there with him, uh, but apparently everybody got a big kick out of the fact that you could just walk right up to this big star, shake his hand, and even have a beer with him. And he was incredibly approachable. Took pictures with everybody that wanted one. I have to tell you, in my experience with Kelsey Grammer, that's exactly how he is. Exactly how he is. Incredibly approachable and incredibly kind. And I'm glad that they're still doing this parade. It's in its third year back. After the COVID pandemic, and it's part of AC Tinseltown, which is the series of festive events. I hope to check out some of that next week. We'll see. All right. Until next hour, your influence counts. Use it.